when you hear the word union, some of you might think of like the State of the Union, right? That's happening on March uh, the 1st, which is coming up quickly. Uh, you, you may say, well, what's that about? I was telling my boys, it's like there are 50 states that are united together to form a nation. And the president will speak of uh, where we are, kind of defining that. You may, uh, yesterday, uh, we were, I was riding with my sons. We were looking uh, for something, or I was, and I happened to pull by the uh, Steelworkers Union. And so then I thought again of this idea, and that group of steelworkers are united by occupation or in particular industry, and they come together to address issues with employers like pay and benefits or conditions. And so they're united uh, together. Uh, in our culture, you may hear stuff of a uh, of like marriage spoken of like a union, or maybe you know there's different ways that people might speak of that. But but we could speak of marriage as a union biblically and explain that and talk to someone uh, about it. Actually, a Christian marriage flows out of an understanding of the relationship of Christ to His church, the highest and most holy union of all. And so I think it's important, you know, that we kind of note that or think about that. And so in Christian theology, when you come to the idea of union, we're addressing the concept of union with Christ. And uh, we are going to be seeing that today and some of the, uh, what, what is that means, but at the same time kind of understanding how we walk in that, how, how we as people walk in the union that we have with Christ. So a couple of things about that, because I do think it's important that you understand it. It is central uh, to your understanding of uh, the Bible, your relationship with God, all of those things. So union with Christ, one way to say this is the application of Christ's work to us by the Holy Spirit. So it is the application of Christ's work to us by the Holy Spirit. And as a result, it is a, a, this intimate union that really transcends anything that you and I could really you know, express fully, I guess you could say. So I think it's um, when you think in terms of union with Christ, like anything that you think of that comes with being in relationship to Jesus, it is tied to your union. So uh, because you, you, get all, you get him, and, and he, like you, you could say it this way, he is in us, and we are in Him. It is, a, it is a union. It's almost like taking ingredients and putting them all together, and then they become something uh, completely transformed, like inseparable from that point on. We are united uh, to Christ. And, and, and then the rest of our lives become, because we are in Christ and He is in us, the rest of our lives become a, a, a longing to live out that to walk in that union that we have with Him. To think in terms of He is with me at every step of the way, that I am with Him. That I, I, I am seated with Him in the heavenlies, and yet He is walking with me, never leaves me or forsakes me. He is with me uh, throughout the rest of my life. If you have received Him, then you are to walk in Him. You're walking in that spiritual union Christ in us and we are in him it's a huge thing to consider because we're trying to think in terms of what does it mean to live the fullest Christian life to grow in Christian maturity 
It is to grasp that and to live in light of that. And so I hope we will do that today. That's that we need to learn more and more that Christ is our supreme Lord and he is also uh, the sufficient Savior. And so when we're looking today at 2, 6, and 7, it's at the heart of the letter. It's like a hinge on, in this book. You're concluding a section and you're entering into another major section today. And so you'll see that. I think that's important to note. Um, you go from kind of the way you would think about the first clause, maybe Jesus Christ is Lord and we entered into his lordship. And the second clause is kind of a summary of what it means to follow him in that, to walk in that. And so uh, that's something that we kind of go through throughout our lives and we're trying to learn to, to, to walk in those things. And so uh, the heart of everything is we're saying we want to understand our identity in him, who we are in Christ, and then live in light of that. So today here's what we'll see, three things that kind of like you, you can think about is the gift, like what is, sometimes I think people get that wrong, what is the gift that we're getting uh, in salvation? And then the call, like what we are to do as a result, and then what tools do, are we given to kind of to, to walk in that call? You know, so we'll look at all those things. Now before we do, I want to read something that I read this week that I thought was helpful because I think sometimes when uh, salvation is something people get mixed up in their head and we don't really know how to deal with the fact that we've been given this great gift and yet we are to uh, live in light of that, you know. But this would be kind of a negative example, so I'll read it to you and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, many of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's an older movie now, but the story is James Ryan uh, as a private during the World War II who's brothers had all passed away and so it's about this story of this young man who's a private he, all of his brothers have died and they decide to go and rescue him and so there's a group of people that are going to do that they send a man captain miller to go and bring him back because they don't want every one of those boys to die the mother they hope that she'll have one uh, child you know remaining after this war is over and so Captain Miller, after finding Ryan at one point in the movie, he ends up like receiving a mortal wound. And so he's going to speak to Ryan uh, on a bridge while he's dying, and he says to him, James, earn this. Earn it. And eventually at the you know, end of the movie, Private Ryan, an old man, revisits the grave of Captain Miller. He utters words that are intended to be poignant, and they are, but actually they're far more tragic than the scriptwriter or the director probably intended. Here's what he says, standing at the grave of Captain Ryan. Ryan says this, my family's with me today. They wanted me to come, they wanted me to come here. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure how I would feel coming back here. Every day I think about what you said to me on that day on the bridge, earn this, and I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that it was enough. I hope that at, at least in your eyes, I've earned what you have done for me. So the, the writer here goes on to say, these are tragic words because they give us insight into how Ryan has been trying to live the rest of his life since he made it home from the battlefield, trying to pay off the debt in a way. And this burden of debt became something that shaped his life. Now, when you think about it from a Christian standpoint, just for a minute, I just think it's important to think in this regard. 
Many Christian lives are kind of like Private Ryan. Christ dies for us. We trust the gospel. We believe in him. And we know better. We know we don't earn our salvation. And yet operationally, functionally, we're living every day trying to earn it. Trying to live up to it. Trying to somehow merit it. Hoping but not sure that we have earned it. That's kind of crazy. But it's such a, it's so easy to move in that. In that circle, in that way. What a miserable, not to mention futile way to live the Christian life. You know, don't you, that the cross of Christ purchased a gift for us that's free. It is by grace. It doesn't come with strings attached. Sure, there's a life that results from the salvation Jesus has purchased to which we are called to. But the gift is not something for which you must pay. It is a gift. You don't receive it upon condition that you will subsequently earn it by your good behavior. Right? I think that's just important to think about and to consider. But many people, I think, sometimes think, oh yeah, I've received the blessing of the gospel and then I spend the rest of my life trying to pay off the debt. That is impossible. God is not asking you to pay off the debt. When Jesus said it is finished, when the gospel is preached to people and say like, just believe it, it is true. You don't earn it. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. You will never receive a free gift and then work it off. That's not how the gospel is. That's not what it is. And so today we're going to talk about that some, but I just want you to think about it because it is really easy and tempting, I think, for us to fall into that trap. So what is the gift? Look at verse 6, and we're going to, like I said, explain that further as we go. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, as you stop there and say, it's a gift. It is received. You, you, you have this act of faith, what believing, you're believing that the gift is there. You're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. It, it, but this is a gift. Uh, that's important to just say also to be like, um, some people present the gospel in this way. Would you like to go to heaven? That's not about, that, that's not, Focusing on Jesus. How many of you would like to go to heaven and not hell? That is not, the the gift is not heaven. The gift is Jesus Christ. I I think if you think of it primarily in that way, uh, one author said you'll think of it as a contract. I have a need, God supplies the need, and in return, um, I'll give him what he, he wants from me kind of later. It's just contractual. And some people think of it that way. Jesus really is a mechanism by which the blessings I need can be delivered to my life. I mean, that's you, you could go and be a part and, and listen to preaching sometimes. And it, 
it, when, a, when preaching is like 40 minutes about your response to the gospel and like five minutes about Jesus, it becomes very contractual. Do you want to be damned? No. Jesus can make sure you're not damned. Do you want to have a better marriage? Uh, yes. Jesus can make your marriage better. All he is is like a genie in a bottle. And that's just, it's not biblical. It's not the way to think about it. And I think it's dangerous. And so when you do that, you reduce the gospel message again to it's contractual. You just think in terms of um, God fulfills his side and pardons me. And then um, if I follow up by, by believing and living an obedient life, you know, kind of he will bless me. But it's all about, you're not, that's not about knowing the Lord, seeing Him, delighting in Him, none of that. Here, here's what happens too, and I think this is interesting to think about. When trouble comes into your life, you would say something like this, I did what I was supposed to do. God didn't hold up His end of the bargain. So some people would say something like this. Gee, okay, here's the contractual thing. Again, God will forgive me of my sins if I believe because I'm trusting in His Son. And then, if I do everything right after that, God will bless me. And then when blessing doesn't show up in this life, you say, either I forgot something that He told me to do, or He's not being faithful. Because we had a contract that I developed in my head. That's a distortion. That is a distortion, you know, of the whole thing here. And then when you think about reducing the gospel, you think about reducing Jesus. Again, I don't, I, you know, I want forgiveness. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. God will give me what I need from him if I trust in his son. Jesus is the best service provider the goods and service provider ever. Well, that's nuts. That's nuts. Nobody, when you have it like I'm a customer and he is the retailer, it totally messes things up. Because how many people really lay down their lives for service providers? How many of you are going to Walmart and wanting to serve? No, you take their services. You give them money, they give you their stuff, and you're just mad if they don't do what you want them to do. But that's not how we think about Him. The truth of the gospel is that we get Christ. It's not that we... Fo if you just focus on the benefits, uh, people will get that mixed up. We get to commune with Christ. That we get to know the Son. That we get the... Benefits of a union with Him, intimacy with Him, a knowledge of Him, uh, the closest relationship you can imagine. You get Him. And if you just focus on the benefits, you will forget Him. And you forget Him, you forget everything. He is the gift. He's the gift. He is the possession that your heart should long for. He is the one where you, you're striving for satisfaction and security in Him. You're not just working a deal with Him. 
And, and so the kind of the deal today would be, and I remember a f- friend of mine when he said he went to a place and he said, man, for years there, you just preached the gospel and reminded, I try to remind myself, and he was trying to remind himself but, and remind people that it's not just that you're making some kind of transactional deal. And what happened was the church like kind of went through a period of transformation because people who thought of Jesus as somebody that was just providing my service all of a sudden became the Jesus of the Bible and they turned to Christ for the first time and believed in him and treasured him and loved him so that's the gift Jesus is the gift he's the gift and he's the one that you're striving for relationship and intimacy you're 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 wanting that to grow deeper and, and you're we're desiring that it's not just a bunch of you doing a lot of activities spiritual activities actually wanting to to know him so what is the call so once you understand that you're you're to walk in him that that's the call walk in him by the way as a just a side note if you, you want to write this down and remind yourself grace precedes demand you can just say that over and over in the bible grace precedes demand what does that mean it means that when you read um the Ten Commandments, before you do that, you need to back up and say, what happened? God came in and rescued them from Egypt. And then it's followed by demand. Or you need to go to Matthew's Gospel. Jesus comes in, the kingdom of God is at hand, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing people. And then it's followed by the Sermon on the Mount. Because grace precedes demand. And then you read, Ephesians or Colossians, and there's all these indicatives, and you say, the indicatives are, you are in Christ, followed by a demand. Now walk in Him. So indicative, this is a statement, state of being, kind of, and then imperative, this is how you live in light of that. And that's kind of what you see. That's really important. It's really, really important. Get the gift right. The gift is Him. And then you want to walk in Him. And so I think that's just important to see and to understand. Because if you get it backwards, you will say to yourself in a contractual way, if I do what God commands, He will bless me. Rather than, God will bless me, has blessed me, and brought me to Himself. Now how might I live? You see, that is radically different. That is radically different. That one thing changes everything. It changes everything. So, um, in one sense, like if you think of it in the wrong way, you're trying to make a deal with God. If you think of it in the right way, you, because of what He's done for you, out of gratitude, you will want to serve Him. So, I think that's important, and we need to see that and understand that. That's the heart of this. Your whole Christian life is living in light of what He's done for you. Your union with Christ motivates, enables, and secures um, that you will continue forward because you're trusting in Him, you're walking with Him, you're pursuing Him, you love Him, and He's working in you just insanely beautiful things. So let's keep moving here. Verse 7. So walking in Him, it means to be rooted. And I just think it's important from a 
man, uh, that's kind of agricultural in, in the sense we're thinking about roots, like a root system. And you think in terms of like, it, this is a, like in a perfect tense. So it's like a, an action completed in the past. You're rooted. Um, so w- what does that mean? I, I think that your roots are kind of like you could say sunk deep in him. That, that nutrition comes from him. Your root walk in him, it means like find your nutrition, your health, your stability, all of those things come in him. And what, why, why is that important? That they're, They've been struggling. Somebody's come in and they're preaching, uh, they're adding to Jesus and he's saying, listen, you need to go deeper into him. You need to think deeper about him. You need to drill down and, and embrace him at a deeper level level you understand that that is where nutrition is found but this is what's interesting in this case it's actually a, it's an action that was has has been done but it's not something done by you you've been rooted in him as something done by god it's by the spirit which is another interesting thing he's saying walk in him but he's working in you uh, you know that's a powerful thing. So again, it's like it, it kind of reminds you of Psalm 1 where by streams of water a tree is planted in that soil that is in kind of a river valley and it's got these, the roots can go deep because the soil's right. The soil's right. So you've been planted and rooted and grounded is the idea so that when the storms, life is going to have storms, Right? That's why it's really important to understand, like, you get the Lord, and, and the Lord told the disciples, like, I will be with you to the ends of the age. You get him, and he's with you. He is the one that he is the, the one that the roots that you're kind of reaching down deep into and, and being planted into this place where you'll go deep into him uh, that, that allows for you to understand just like if, as if the, you were sitting in that boat with the disciples, with the master there. You know, you should be that rooted and grounded knowing that he is with you. And so I think that's important to know. And I think that's your life in Christ is what you need to feed you and secure you to the end. And the reality is, is that is what is happening to you in in spite of you. You're being rooted and grounded. The second is kind of architectural, you could say. It's almost, and this is, again, and, and this, might, this is more of like a, not necessarily in the past, but a present tense thing. But again, it's, in the, it's a passive. So you're built up in Him. Um, again, you're called to walk in Him, but then, then again, it's like God's working this in you. You're, you're like a stone that a builder is chiseling away to form and fit well so that you're kind of being placed in this holy temple in the Lord. That's what Ephesians 2 says. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also are also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So you are stones that the builder is shaping and placing within. And, and like some people are always looking for 
this new temple to be built, it is being built before your very eyes. It is the church. And He is building it. And He is building it perfectly. And it will never be torn down. It is a forever temple. That's kind of the language here. But again, who's doing this? Well, we're to walk in Him and God's working that in us. He's working that in us. And again, that's just hard to understand. God's crafting His masterpiece, and yet we get to be a part of the, participate in that. And uh, that's very helpful. And then the third one is like a legal metaphor, I guess you would say. And it, it's, it's um, again, <laughs> this is, it's in, it's in a, a present thing happening, but it's in, in the passive. So it's, and establish in the faith just as you were taught. It, it's, uh, it has the idea, again, of God doing this in your life. This does have uh, the concept of something being in a contract form, in a legal form. But what is he saying? He's saying, I keep my promises. He's saying, what you heard from the beginning, what you were established in and you are now presently being established in, that thing that you were taught and you're presently being taught, that God is helping you understand, illuminating you to, those things are trustworthy and true. They're guaranteed. You can trust them. God never lies. The faith that was delivered to you by Epaphras is the faith that will save you, sustain you, keep you. You need nothing else but the Word of God as delivered by the apostles to you. So walk in them and stay there. But know, understand the one standing behind that who has secured you and established you in that faith, it's His very words. He is the one, that, the author of the one... He's the, that made it is guiding you into those things. So you have these three verbs, and, and it really is this thing. This is kind of hard for us sometimes. Is In one sense, you're saying we're not doing this. In another sense, we're to walk in this. And so th what do you say? I think the best passage for me over the years that, to help me understand it is Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now not only as uh, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to work and to will for His good pleasure. So, you who are united to Christ, know that you are to walk in Him, and know that He is in you working these things out. And you hold those two truths together. And you, you, you stand firm in that. It, it ties together both command and promise at one time. And I think that's extremely important. And so we need to see that, understand that, and grasp that. And that's why you can, Paul can say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, he is going to take care of you and guide you and keep you. And sometimes you think, I don't have anything left. And he's like, yeah, but I'm working all these things in you. Do you not believe that? Do you not believe that?
And so I think that's important to understand. So we say the, the gift of salvation is not heaven. It's Jesus. The, the gift of salvation is not getting out of hell. It, it, is, it is knowing Him. There are benefits that come with knowing Him, but your union with Him is the thing, the pursuit is that relationship. And, and, and at the same time, when you say, now go walk in that, it's not to try to earn it. It's not to earn it. It should be more in, in the sense of like, I want to know Him. I want to grow in Him. I want to see Him and savor Him. It's not so that I'm trying to earn it, earn what He's done for me, but out of gratitude for what He's done. I, I walk in that. Now, again, I'm trusting in what God is doing as I'm pursuing those things myself. Now, what tools would you use to do that? And I, I think this is kind of, I probably wouldn't see it quite like this or thought about it, but I think it's important just to go back to verse 6 and say to yourself, um, as you receive Christ Jesus, now, wh where did they get that? It was through the message. The, the, the gospel message the gospel is, is presented and, and preached through words. There, there was an apostolic message. Those guys came and preached. When Paul preached, that, that's, that's another thing. When these people show up and say, I've got a little bit to add to what Paul said, they don't add anything to what Paul said. There is no other revelation. When somebody comes to you and says, oh, well, I've got a word from the Lord, it's like, no, you don't. Not in that sense. Not in that sense. When the apostle spoke, the gospel is laid out for us. It is clear. And so what we do is we go to the Bible and we say, even today, in light of the apostle's message, it, of course, even helps us to understand the Old Testament, but the whole Bible it is to be preached in light of that, understanding the fullness of God's revelation. We go back to that. It teaches us what it means to be in relationship with God, how we enter into that relationship, and what it means to walk in Him. We keep going back to that. We hold fast to that. That is the way. That's the means. That's why in 2 Timothy 4, he says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judged of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He goes over and over, preach the word. It, it, that's, that is the thing. And it's been given to us, that message has, and that is what we keep going back to. It's important that we do that. It's important that we, we understand that. And then the other thing is, this idea of abounding in thanksgiving, which is kind of the final metaphor, that, that's the other tool that helps you, uh, that guides you to walk in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean like you're always thankful for your circumstances, because you're not. And, and that's, I, I'm not always thankful for the things that I endure through the week or in my life or whatever. I, it's not, I'm not, I mean, I can get really bitter or really angry or really just like a down or whatever it might be. I can do all that stuff. I, I can lose a, a sight of so many things that the Lord 
uh, has done for me. And, I, and I, can, I can get there. And so he's calling us here to, I think, this is one of those things where it's not a passive, it's active. You're doing that. You need to practice the discipline of thanksgiving. Dr- be driven to the Word and then practice the pattern of, of thanksgiving. That doesn't mean you always feel thankful or that you like everything that's going on in your life. But you practice thanksgiving. Even when you don't feel thankful, you practice thanksgiving. I was telling uh, <clears throat> Jacob this week, uh, he and I were visiting, and I, and I said, uh, I had a buddy once that was struggling with depression, and he said, <clears throat> looking back, he, the way he came out of it was through Thanksgiving. He would go on walks, and he would reflect on all the spiritual like and wonderful things that he, he, he knew and understood about God and what he had done in his life. And, and even the earth, earthly kind of things that he had done. He just rehearsed all of this stuff. And he did it for weeks. For weeks. Until one day, the dark cloud of the soul like left him. In the discipline of thanksgiving, he, it, it left him. And there's plenty of things in Colossians for you to be abounding in thanksgiving for, you know? And when you do that, as you strive to do it, he said it wasn't short, it wasn't easy. You couldn't take a pill and get make it go away. It was through the discipline of thanksgiving that the, the dark clouds, you know, you could see again. And they moved away from him. It reminds you of that old hymn, like, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One. Always thought it was silly as a kid, but in reality, when you think of that, I think that's important for you. So the gospel today is not a contract. It is a relationship that came by way of the a gift, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is followed by a call. We're commanded to walk in it, but with the command is grace to do what we're called to do. We employ gifts like the discipline of studying His Word and the discipline of thanksgiving. And those things drive us and help us and empower us and remind us. And so that's what I want to encourage you um, to do today. So if you would stand with me at this time.